0: Hello and welcome to the super pumped edition of Slate Money your guide to the business and finance news of the week I'm Felix Hammond of Axios I am here with Emily Peck of the Huffington Post Hello I am here with our other co-host Anna Szymanski who amazingly has a I, affiliation I have, now yes, I have, I have you shifted, are no longer I'm no the longer mysterious
1: working at the mysterious company I, I <laughs> <laughs> I have uh, shifted now officially to financial journalism. So, I'll... are you?
0: Why would anyone voluntarily become it's, a journalist? It's a very
1: good question. Yeah, most people don't finish their CFA and then and they'd be like, "I'm going to go into journalism." <laughs> <laughs> but welcome, but, uh, welcome to the tribe. So, yes, yeah, so I'm going to be working with uh, Reuters Breaking Views.
0: All right, you're you on the modern. So now we have four journalists around the table because we also have Mr. Mike Isaac of the New York Times. Hello, hello. Welcome. <laughs> you are here because you are on Bookdoor. You've written an amazing new book called?
2: This is called Super Pumped, The Battle for Uber.
0: It's great. It's in all good bookstores. It's a a fun read. And so yeah, we're going to talk to Mike about his book and about Uber and about Travis Kalanick and then about the new Travis Kalanick, who's Adam Newman of WeWork and about what on earth is going on with all of the WeWork crazy. We are going to be talking about the power that Workers are beginning to show over companies like GM and maybe even Uber, thanks to Californian legislation. It's a fun conversation. You should stick around for it. We're even going to talk about repo in Slate Plus because, you know, we Um, have to. All that coming up in Slate
3: Money. But there's something you can do about it, and we hope you'll join us in DC on May 14th to explore the possible pathways out of the current situation, go to slatecom Live for tickets.
0: So my congratulations on the book. Thank you. Um, how's it doing?
3: Uh,
2: it's. I think it's doing all right. It, we hit the bestseller list, which was nice—the uh, New York Times bestseller list—and and like people seem to actually be reading it. They're like tweeting shots at uh at the airport at me. So I guess that's a measure of success.
0: So what's the subject that they mostly glom onto us? It basically, oh my god, Travis was amazingly evil.
2: The weird thing is, everyone seems to like my penchant for footnotes. <laughs> Your footnotes are <laughs> that fantastic. That is literally yes. <laughs> what everyone is tweeting more than like. Crazy well, the Google is, affair. The footnotes is always
0: about you, right? <laughs> yeah, right. It's, it's when it's actually when Mike winds up going, "Oh shit, I'm going to have to insert myself into the book here."
2: <laughs> that is, that's basically. It. I think that's where I like. I can't tweet in book form, so I had to get it out in the footnotes.
4: <laughs> For me, it felt like being transported back into another era, but the era mm. was just a few years ago, <laughs> yeah, right? Just all the all the stuff about Travis and the culture was just. It was almost like more shocking to read about now than it was to live through it because you had mm. put it all in one place and you open you open the book right with that big party
0: yeah, you've got to open with the party. That was the other great book that we had on. What was the it? Last billion the Billion Dollar Whale, whale, whale. also mm-hmm. opens with a party, mm-hmm. and I feel like the Billion Dollar Whale party can possibly outdo even Travis. Although it was close, they didn't have Beyonce.
2: Right, Beyonce was the icing on the cake for Travis's party, and that it cost twenty five million dollars. But... And she
0: got and she got like six million dollars of equity. Right, and then after IPO, that was worth like less than six right. million dollars. <laughs> right. It's like, she's like she got in early in the private round. But like that doesn't really help you when the <laughs> stock falls off.
2: Oh, God.
4: But the, And then the culture was his sell, selling point, And then it, it was ultimately his downfall, wouldn't you say?
2: Yeah. No, I, I, I don't think know. the... No, no, no. I do think that. I think that people don't really realize how bad it was until you go look how condensed the like number of gnarly things that came out happened, you know, like in very short order. Like it was just sort of the election and then his Trump council problem and then Fowler memo and then uh, a ghoul getting sued and all this stuff like really quickly. And I think that like 10 years of, or probably like seven or eight years of crap all came to bear in early 2017 and ended up being the thing that just...
1: I was curious because it, yeah. it, definitely reading it in the condensed form, it just seemed like, wow, this is kind of unprecedented. But yep. it, it made me think, because last year we had this oral history of Silicon Valley that we read and talked mm, about. And cool. and as I was reading your book, it there were things in it that I was like, this actually reminds me of stuff that happened at other companies. But I think part of the difference was that, you know, no one was covering There wasn't as much media. And also, like, yeah. people didn't care about the misogyny yeah. <laughs> in a way that they do now.
2: My thesis on this, so I totally agree. I think my thesis on this is like, uh, and I say this in the book, like I really do think the election of Trump gave people more, uh, and like some of the thing- the threads around it, even if there isn't a direct through line from like say Cambridge Analytica or Russian interference to we elected Donald Trump or we got Brexit, I still think it made people think about tech in a different way than they had before. And like, uh, oh, people might be able to manipulate my thoughts or whatever based on the newsfeed. And so I-, I do think that, Scrutiny of tech just increased after that. And then and, and my guess is if, if Uber wasn't such a shit show, it would have been Facebook to get its reckoning right after, you know, but then Uber imploded and Facebook got it deferred to twenty. Hours. Was, and was it was Uber... almost
4: unfair because yeah. you go through Almost sorry, unfair. And, oh, it, well, just the um the it delete the delete Uber like movement yeah. and hashtag the way you yeah. lay it out. I was surprised to kind of realize that. Uber really they, It's not
0: clear what they did wrong in that particular. Exa- they didn't totally. really
4: do anything for once. that wrong yeah. for <laughs> once, but that was like the catalyst for then Basically, their demise. Yeah. It, it really hurt them. But all they had done was turn off surge pricing.
0: It really was. It was <laughs> people really hated surge pricing, <laughs> yeah. and then when they turn them off, that's even worse. If it's they like, had
4: kept it on, I feel like you could have had the same outcome. It actually wouldn't have mattered at yeah. all, right. because yeah. if they had it on, they would have they been would profiting still have,
0: from. Yeah, profiting yeah exactly. From getting people There's literally to the no good way to, the, to navigate airport. that. But that's the problem when you are in that situation where everyone is primed to hate you, then then <laughs> yep. it's it's a little bit like when you're being canceled on Twitter, nothing you say is going to help.
2: <laughs> That's right. That's right. And it started with a tweet. So
1: and does that maybe also suggest that like, it, like, Travis was almost that figure that like, if he hadn't existed, we'd have had to invent him almost in the sense mm. of, especially like, as you said, like in this kind of post Trump period where people just had so much anger and wanted to do something. And yes. he you know, in in so many ways, he was this Trumpish figure that people could attack,
2: so one thing that kept coming up as I was reporting this book from people who worked with him or under him or continued to work with him is that they kept calling him trump trumpian, <laughs> weirdly, <laughs> like, like, or just sort of how he created his own reality but had this charisma that kept people around him, but also was surrounded by people who. Uh, wouldn't really challenge him in direct ways. And it was just very, the way that he ran it was supposedly very Trumpian. And, and yeah. Was-
0: so so my question is, is Uber the poster child of the tech clash? Was, was Uber the big company to, to really suffer from the tech clash? Or was Uber idiosyncratic in that way and related to the Trump election and mm. Travis personally? And you can't really extrapolate to anyone else.
2: I think it's, this is probably unsatisfying, but I think it's a little bit of both. I think that like part of their getting caught up in this gnarliness was basically timing and the fact that Travis is the Uber bro and kind of was an avatar for a lot of the things that people hate about tech in the abstract, you know? but but some things were very specific to them you know like you can talk about a culture of misogyny throughout the tech industry but i think at uber it was just that times 100 it was like misogyny like sprayed with axe body spray right? <laughs> and uh but i i think that that being like paramount has still opened the door for that criticism at every other company and we're starting to see that in different ways and like see internally the workers actually being upset or pushing back more than they have in the past. So I think I think that's also like probably a good thing or fair game at least. Like maybe they had too much of a grace period for too long. And so this might be a good moment to at least look at it. If, if not like fully condemn all of it, just sort of be like, all right, what are we okay with?
0: Which brings me to, is called AB5, the law yeah. in California, yeah. which is this law basically saying that the people who drive for Uber need to be considered to be employees. We've talked about this kind of issue for literally for years mm. on on slate money. The first question I have for you about that is, is the reason that it managed to get passed in what is meant to be the most tech-friendly state in the union, is that Uber-specific as well? Mm. Is, was there a yeah. feeling that just because people really hated Uber and they wanted Uber drivers to be employees that they would pass this bill? Or is was is it again like a much broader tech class The
4: um the bill to... the impetus for the bill according to what i just read in the times yesterday <laughs> was actually a dispute with a driver for a company i can't remember if it was a delivery company or
2: dynamax right oh that started in dynamax so i think so yeah,
4: yeah and he was misclassified and there was a lawsuit and then that was the inspiration for ab5 it wasn't actually right but i guess uber the question inspired, is inspired although not... uber will obviously be Quite affected and right. might have to spend like a. But half what, But
1: yeah, I guess passed. right, exactly. I mean, I think yeah, yes, definitely. Like it wasn't an Uber bill, but the I think Felix, I think you're probably right.
2: I mean, I, like that what got it over exactly, the line. Right, that, Why were people anger willing
1: about, to yeah. rule in that way? It does seem like you can't. Like, Uber is a ginormous elephant in the room.
2: Well, it's you can look at the there are stories of drivers who like sleep in their cars or have to pee in bottles on the side of the road or whatever, just like really gnarly conditions for folks like that. The interesting thing for me is that. I've talked to as many drivers who are upset at it passing than right. than their the, as as well as the ones who are in support of it, right? Because like a lot of folks, and those are the people that Uber pushes out to say, like, look, they, they want to be flexible and not be employees or whatever.
3: And
1: I think that is it is it is complicated. I mean, I think that's yeah. the issue. It, it's not actually super simple because the vast majority of Uber drivers don't actually drive that many hours. And I think the issue is people want the flexibility; they just want to be paid a little bit better and they want to have a little bit more consistency. Okay, so
0: so I, I mean, I need to ask you about this bill because I don't entirely understand. I don't think anyone entirely understands what the consequences will be. But is it a rational, reasonable worry for people who are currently working very flexible hours for uber to worry that they will no longer be able to work flexible hours
2: yeah i think uber has said that they would have to do some intense scheduling of like when like tell when certain people can drive or whatever i mean it would basically look a lot more like shifts essentially and unless and like i can turn my phone on now and just work whenever and then turn it off and and it's based on sort of a Supply and demand, and, the w- market. and
0: why would would they need to do that? Because they would be obli- legally obliged to do that, or would they need to do that because somehow, like, if you make them employees, then you need to start scheduling them.
2: I don't know if it's a legal stipulation of you have to work this many hours per day or whatever. You know, I think it's more. I think it's there are a few things like they can't just have all of these people working at once, and it and you have to sort of stagger the amount of time each one works, and.
0: Because I think that's, that's the problem, right? Is that what you want to avoid when you have employees is them all working at the right. times they all want to work. And, and they do all working... work at the
2: same time because right. those are how the cycles of of people going places work, right? And we're already seeing a little bit of this
1: in New York because I know they changed the law and there's like a, like a minimum guarantee if you are working. And so as a result, yeah. I know I think like Lyft, they've said that, okay, that means you actually can't drive in certain areas because you wouldn't be able to make enough. So then they don't want to guarantee you that minimum. So if you're a driver, you can't drive at that time in that area. And and I think that this will inevitably be this kind of push and pull between flexibility and support, and I think it's going to be finding that equilibrium. Not necessarily saying it has to be hundred percent one or the other. But
0: Anna, I mean that. So I guess the question which I have for you or Mike, I don't know, is is this just going to be like another little complicator, complicating factor? What's that wonderful term that Jeff Bezos uses? Um, oh, I don't know. Something like that. Complexifier. Like, <laughs> c- complexifier. Oh, yeah. God. <laughs> 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 um, Is it it going to be like a complexifier for the Uber algorithm or is this actually like an existential risk to the entire business model?
2: I mean, I think,
1: I mean, you you know better than I do, but probably the latter, right? (laughs) I
2: I think it's existential in the sense that like, uh, 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 so this is how I think they're looking at it right now. Right now, this is only California. I think they're worried that other states are going to take the lead and do the same thing. I was in Seattle last week and talking to some uh, driver who was saying that the they are already meeting to try to get ahead of an idea of this bill and come to some sort of compromise i guess but yeah it, i mean the whole the whole company is based on the idea of paying people less and not giving them the the benefits of, a, of an employee and so i think if you do that extrapolate that out to every city that they operate in across the world it's it's a death blow you know Maybe so it they could... shouldn't
4: have gotten so big I, mean, I mean the, the company was premised on using a workforce that it can't really pay yeah but also the company has never made money
0: (laughs) i mean even even with this like underpaid freelance workforce it's still never made Mm -hmm. money yeah yeah Yeah. which i mean it's kind of amazing i mean can you explain (laughs) that one to me because they take what is it like north of 30 percent now of every fare. yeah their overhead is just like a bunch of computers yeah how do you how do you <laughs> contrive to lose money? Is it
4: the balloons? <laughs> <laughs> that was the
2: best—the birthday balloons inside. They cut um, the spending on balloons. You no, know, that was such so a good anecdote. Yeah. Um, so it's subsidies. I mean, like just remember back when they started here, or whatever. Like every ride was artificially uh, deflated for the amount that you're going to pay, and then like drivers were paid more to get them incentivized to use the platform. So. The original reasoning was, uh, well, once we get to equilibrium in our cities, we're going to stop doing these subsidies and things will be good. The problem is they just moved into food delivery as like their major area of growth. And they're like setting money on fire, trying to subsidize that sort of growth. And food delivery, I would say, is where we were with riot hailing three to five years ago, where it's like. You have SoftBank backing all of these players in food delivery, not only in the U.S., but, like, around the world, and they're all spending crazy amounts of money to give food away for free right. so people will use the service and, like, habituate them. But, like, I don't see that abating anytime soon. It's only going to get
0: worse. So in terms of, the like, the core ride-hailing product in yeah. mature cities like London or New York, is that actually profitable?
2: Yeah, so they are, and this is what they'll you know stress then they can be prof. they can break even if they turned off all the things that were burning the cash <laughs> <laughs> which oh, yeah, yeah. is a, yeah, which is like okay but also
0: there are cities in but which would, they are would profitable. the stock market mind like if they turned off uber well, eats or whatever this yeah. is
2: the the growth versus profitability right. thing like right. i think this is like just a classic like what do investors value more right and i think their their ride hailing business is starting to level off in terms of growth because they've saturated the world, right? And, and they're like a lot of other competitors. So where are they going to find that growth? They're going into food delivery for the next area of growth. That growth is costing them the same amount that it cost them initially with ride ailing. So it's totally, a. I think if they turned it all off, then the investors would be like, where's your growth? You're doomed.
4: If they're I was Uber, screwed. I would not do the food delivery. I would merge with Lyft. Because yeah. then they would well, have so much more illegal, than enough. That's illegal, right? <laughs> Why, <laughs> <laughs> that's
2: what I would, I would do. do. <laughs> that would be my plan. Okay, Rockefeller over there. <laughs> no, but I, mean, I, mean, I,
0: I, do think that's like the uh, that's actually what on on a weird level they've been trying to do, like not l- merge with Lyft Put because that really would be illegal but drive them out of business so they no longer have that competition
2: yeah that was almost what happened until 2017 like lyft was literally at death's door and then travis had his reckoning and delete uber happened and then they came they had a second wind and now they're a public company it's actually they were they so close to an alternate history of having no lyft tragic <laughs> <laughs>
4: Subject to credit approval. Terms apply.
0: Let's talk about the new Uber and the new Travis, who's the new man, literally. I I, I checked this with a former employee of WeWork. It is pronounced new man. It's not pronounced Neumann or anything like that.
4: Not new man. Newman.
0: Or Newman. Okay. (laughs) But anyway, so but we have... The new man
4: makes the better, like, Ayn Rand
3: <laughs> character.
1: <laughs> <laughs> like, he, he,
0: he is the new man. He, he bestrides the world in, on, on his Gulfstream G650. Say who
4: you're talking about.
0: We're talking about Mr. Newman.
4: Adam Newman. Adam
0: Newman. The founder of WeWork. The man who says that he wants to, A, be the world's first trillionaire, B, be president of the United States, even though he was born in Israel. President of of the the world. world. And and C, (laughs) wants to be president of the world, which is a job title that doesn't even exist. But he's like, yeah, president of the world. That sounds cool. (laughs) That sounds amazing. That sounds good. A little
4: WeWork kind of White House kind of a thing. We dictatorship. (laughs) We...
0: weed desperate. <laughs> yeah, that's perfect and also weed smoker because <laughs> <laughs> nice nice <laughs> on his Gulfstream he would smoke a lot of weed according to the Wall Street Journal and then leave the weed on the Gulfstream for his for the owner of the plane to suffer major criminal liability let's <laughs> <That's> just
4: consider it <laughs> everyone should go read this Wall Street Journal piece amazing. by Elliot Brown just, he
2: knocked it out of the park
4: yes just, um, it opens with the smoking on the plane and I think it ends with a smoking somewhere else I don't know there's a lot of marijuana There's a lot of
0: marijuana. And and I remember talking to my um, Axios colleague, Dan Primack, about that piece. And he was like, I'm not sure there's that much new information in this story. And I was like, it kind of doesn't matter. If you're talking about something like an IPO, the only thing that matters is what do investors think that other investors are going to think about WeWork? And when you get a story like this, Mm. like who wants to buy those shares?
4: No, he comes across as an idiot. I think. I mean, and that ridiculous
0: grin that he always uh, wears. Yeah. No, I agree. (laughs) But
4: completely agree. And also, we should say we work delayed its IPO this week. Yes. and the news,
1: but I think what was interesting from the article, and this goes back a little bit to in your book as well, yeah. th- this idea of people being drawn to him—that like he was totally. the main selling point of this company to try to convince people that this was not just a real estate company with maturity mismatches, but that totally. it was in fact this tech platform that was going to change the world. They're going elevate the world's exactly. consciousness. <laughs>
2: I mean He's that I guess man. flies, yeah, that flies in the private markets when you put them in front of them and are like blah blah blah, and then when you actually have to show your financials. But
0: but Mike, I mean, you know a bunch of Silicon Valley venture capitalists. If you went up to a Silicon Valley <laughs> venture capitalist and said, um, "You know what I want to do is I want to get a billion dollars from you so that I can elevate the world's consciousness." <laughs> I mean, how far would you get? I don't know, man. Like,
2: I this is the, I've never met Adam Newman. I met Travis, but I've never met Adam and like. I feel like the reality distortion field really goes far with some, and maybe we give some of these investors more credit than they're due. I think some are very smart, and then I think some of the money they raise is also very dumb, right? Yeah. Which like, which
0: side of the ledger is Massasan on?
2: I I would read a whole book on Massasan. I want to know what the yeah. hell's that guy. He's either a genius or not totally insane. <laughs> maybe part of both. But I would read. I don't know. I also, honestly don't know. What
4: was interesting about Adam Newman is one of the things you write about in the book is the shares and the difference in the shares that Travis holds versus everybody else and mm. how it made it almost impossible to oust him. Yep. And so I thought, well, everyone must have read Mike's book and followed this news and knew <laughs> not to do that again. Nope. But they've done it again with Adam Newman. He also has... <laughs> but well, he, well, this no, is so common
0: in tech. This is my favorite thing about the whole WeWork story. When there was a pushback on governance from potential investors, WeWork said, oh, you know what? We're not going to give Adam Newman's." super voting shares of 20 votes per share. We're going to give him super voting shares of only 10 votes per share. (laughs) That's fine.
4: They've learned, it just seems like investors really learn nothing from Travis at I, all from that whole experience. I mean, but I really yeah. do,
1: I think you're right, though. I mean, I think some of this is just people has, have capital that they need to deploy and they're willing to believe these people. And I think you're also right yeah. that, like, these, like, the, the Travis and the Adam Newman, they seem like, you know, these kind of crazy figures. But then when you read about Silicon Valley figures of the past, when you read about industrialists of the past, when you read about certain politicians, like, this actually is not an uncommon personality well, type. Well,
0: no, the personality yeah. type, I think the, you know, the personality type, and I wrote about this in in Edge this week, that business and capitalism reward sociopaths. and Ooh, I like that. Um, And you see this in a bunch of different areas, and especially very charming sociopaths who can persuade people to give them attention and money and, you know, all the rest of it. And this is true of most investment bankers, but it's also true of Um, Travis and Adam Newman and it's also true of Jeffrey Epstein you know Mm. like you see this in a bunch of different areas and I mean it's true
1: of politicians too like I'm about halfway through the Robert Carroll Lyndon Johnson books Mm. oh god and like Lyndon Johnson is a monster
0: (laughs) (laughs) but the big difference I think now is that between you know today's sociopaths (laughs) the new man (laughs) and and the sociopaths of old is that the sociopaths of old felt this need to make money (laughs) And, and today's sociopaths can like become incredibly wealthy by losing money. Right? I, like, well, when I, was that ever I mean, possible? They're yeah. still
4: making money. Adam Newman is still scamming WeWork out of money. He's sold shares, something Travis Kalanick didn't he owns, do. Like, yeah.
0: He owns hundreds of millions of dollars of real estate. He
4: trademarked the word we <laughs> and His, sold oh. it to the company, which just needs to be repeated many times because it's just so no, devilish.
2: Like, I, I, th- I do think, though, the... To your point about deploying capital. Like yeah. soft, I think Softbank's vision fund just changed everything. And like they have, if you have a hundred billion dollars and you need to park it places quickly, very fast, yeah. before you raise your next fund, right, you need to go to the companies that require the most capital. And that's why they had to get into Uber. That's why we work, even though we work is stupid or it doesn't make actual sense to me, like they still want to ingest billion-dollar slugs of money at a time. And so I'm wondering what the next, like, where where those other things are going. Well, I
1: agree. No, I mean, you have, it's, it's a matter of, like, you know, again, you have incredibly low rates. You have a lot of people going into riskier and riskier things. You have, like, such a glut of savings that need to find homes. Yeah, It's not surprising that this is what we're seeing. Yeah.
0: But what we're seeing now is I think this part this era of the economy sort of screeching to to a halt. Mm. Um Vision Fund two was meant to come along with a hundred another hundred billion dollars because like what can you do with a hundred billion dollars? <laughs> you really need like at least two hundred billion dollars. <laughs> um Vision Fund two was meant to come along and it really looks as though the WeWork IPO has single handedly made that much, much less likely. Damn. Because people are like, wait, you're really not that smart after all. Well, you bought into WeWork at a forty seven billion dollar valuation <laughs> and now they're talking about IPOing at like ten?
2: Ugh. <laughs> God.
4: There's two other things I wanted to mention first is Adam Newman's businesses before we work. I don't know if we've talked oh, about that. Oh, the Crawlies, before. whatever they were. Wait, hey, what did he do? No, I have He no did idea. the Crawlies, which is like knee pads for, for babies, babies. <laughs> because what is the slogan? It's like because they hurt, but Even you... though
1: they can't tell you, they are in pain or something, or something <laughs> like that.
4: Oh, my God.
2: That's my therapy And i like, no, they
4: can tell you. They start crying. Like, <laughs> And then the other one was collapsible high heels yes. for women.
2: No. What?
4: That is the worst. I mean, you're walking down the street and your collapsible heel collapses t- by I end. mean, I, I guess mean, it's, it's, it's the, the idea that like, yeah, I mean, like there's a part of me that was thinking through that. And I was like, well, uh-huh. maybe I'm my like, I, you could make that work. But no, <laughs> no, it just didn't. No, it's, it's just like his, <laughs> it's like his businesses are all like stoned fever dreams. Like, <laughs> I, guess, yeah. well, I bet babies oh really are. Really <laughs> <really laughs> oh, I couldn't believe it. My um, my friend
0: Lindsay Robertson has, used to have this occasional series on Twitter called High like, <laughs> you, you, know, you would just kind of get <laughs> stoned and like come up with an awesome idea, which <laughs> makes perfect sense. Yes, Adam Newman
4: has many good high ideas. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You should oh, host that. and the last thing I wanted to mention because we talked about the meat policy before, which is WeWork <laughs> oh. said it would no longer pay for meat consumption for its employees. And Adam Newman in the Wall Street Journal, they concede he he still is eating meat. Not only, but, no, honestly, still going on. but, but, but better eating, yet, better yet, buying private jets.
0: So, so number okay. So this yeah, exactly. my, my favorite thing about the meat eating thing, and this came out in the journal story was the. Again, it was one of those ideas, basically. He just woke up one morning and said, we're banning meat. And then the, the whole corporate communications like edifice had yes. to swing in yes. to come up ex-post <laughs> with some rationale Ugh. for it. And they're like, it's because we believe in sustainability or Christ something. But such... it wasn't. It was just because Adam came up with it one morning and when he was done. It was
2: literally right after the Starbucks. So I was like, I was like this is total ego shot. It was after... Was Schultz doing the Starbucks straw thing or so? whoever seceded him came up with the no plastic straws of Starbucks? Like, literally the next day, Newman did that. And I was like, he just wanted to, like, it was, you know, I don't know how much I can cuss on here, but he, he just, wanted, like, he just, wanted, just like, wanted to, like, dick measure that much more than the last guy, basically. That was my, <laughs> irony. It was like woke dick measure. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, exactly. exactly. My, yeah, my dick is so much wokeer than yours. <laughs> <laughs> you can't say that. You,
0: you can't talk about woke dicks. Usually, but in slate money, you can talk about woke dicks. <laughs> Without the ones
2: like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. Ed Granger, we're here for you. With professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability
0: and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Hello, I'm Imi Harper. On the Slow Newscast from Tortoise, I tell the story of how a Hong Kong billionaire was silenced.
2: I got bombs thrown into my house, I got people camping here, rang at my computer, and I, I got people fractured me, I got this and that, but. I'm
0: safe. And what it reveals about the freedoms Hong Kong no longer enjoys. Listen to Hong Kong's Rebel Billionaire on the Slow Newscast wherever you get your podcasts. Meanwhile, back, back in the real world, a whole bunch of General Motors employees are going on strike. Indeed.
1: Which... Is it a little bit unexpected? Yeah, it is a bit unexpected. It's been it's been quite a while, and I think there was also a thought that the negotiations were, you know, getting to a point that this wasn't necessarily going to lead to a strike, and and then it did, and it's you know it, we're st- we're multiple days into this strike, there at this stage, it, you know, we we aren't seeing at least as far as I know of this morning, we we aren't seeing a tremendous amount of uh, positive signs, shall we say? So it'll be interesting to see what happens because. You basically have a lot of GM workers who, I mean, the workers, the, the actual union members kind of saying they're concerned about a lot of temporary workers being brought in. I mean, it, it, there are a number of other things, but that's one of the main issues. And then on the GM side, I mean, the, the initial deal they came out with, in a lot of ways, wasn't a horrible deal if you kind of look at all the, the details in it. But it didn't really address this main concern. And then the other issue you have are the heads of the union who are involved in this corruption scandal, an embezzlement scandal, which is part of the reason that they think GM actually made their deal public because they didn't trust the union leadership. So it's a bit of a mess.
0: But the bigger picture here, I think, is just that Again, like are we reaching a turning point between A B five in in California, the mm. strikes in GM we had the teacher strikes which worked last year across the country. There's this other story going on right now, right right here in New York, where Kickstarter, this like, you know, very crunchy granola tech company is trying to unionize and the management is being a bit crap about that. And the, you know, have we finally Finally reached the point at like 3.5% unemployment where like workers are managing to get a little bit of
4: I mean I power? think we saw I think it was in the summer that some data came out that said we've had more strike activity last year than we have had in a decade at least or more. Mm. So and and it's true that the economy's doing great and and wages and salaries haven't really moved so i think that you are seeing more labor agitation and especially a gm where one of the lines from the workers that we're seeing is like we sacrificed for you during the great recession like we made concessions and now gm you're doing great you're doing fine now so like right but the problem is back
1: yeah and this is where it's, it gets complicated though because the reality is like they're not doing fantastically well and if you kind of look at long, like the kind of where trends are going, mm-hmm. their GM is not particularly well placed. Although part of the reason they're not well placed, I would argue, is because of management. A lot of the kind of strategy they waited way too long to restructure. They have way too many plants that are underutilized. Mm-hmm. So I think it's perfectly reasonable for people to criticize management and to say, why is Mary Bearer being paid so much right. money mm-hmm. considering what is actually going on? However, it doesn't change the fact that you know, the auto industry is changing and this isn't just GM. It's all of the big players. Like they are going to have to be a bit more nimble. And how do we balance that with the need of workers for some security? It's not a simple solution. No, it's not.
4: And Businessweek just ran a cover story with Mary Barra and they profiled her. And it's really interesting because she's trying to catch up and pivot the company to become like an God forbid like an Uber or like a Tesla like she wants to go to electric really fast she wants to go to self driving mm-hmm. she sees the writing on the wall so but it's like yeah how do you can you actually make that transition it seems to me a huge open question and i think there's some quote in the piece that's like GM doesn't want to be Kodak you know one mm-hmm.
0: of one of the interesting things about the Kickstarter story is that and i had no idea there are zero unionized tech companies what? Yes, they yes. would be the first. And, and it's like, what? Yeah. And so Isn't this and so part of this whole like when Mary Barra looks to Tesla mm-hmm. or Uber, yes, what exactly. she sees is an ununionized workforce. <laughs> and she's like, That looks good. Can I have that? And if well... you look at if you look at what happens I mean there's been multiple, multiple stories about how miserable the life is for Tesla workers and how hard they need to work and, you know, and how easy they get fired just because, you know, um, they looked at Elon Musk the wrong way one day and that kind of thing. <laughs> That's and, not even fake. That's yeah. true. <laughs> <laughs> and, oh, which, by the way, also happened uh, We work, except for they looked at Adam Newman's <laughs> wife the wrong way. <laughs> really? Yeah. Oh, God. But, she didn't like their energy. She didn't like that. energy. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's right. That's right. Um, but so... Mike like how and why is it that none of these companies have managed to unionize and do you think that we are going to see this happening soon No
2: I think that that's you're totally getting a point that has been a weird grand irony to me is that workers are starting to figure out that they have power you know like I think I think in the valley or in tech specifically I think companies are really screwed when their employees start pushing back and like that. And that's when leaks starts happening. That's when people start doing walkouts. Google has gone through some like deep shit for the past few years now, because all this gnarly stuff is coming out uh, about the executives. And so it's, you know, I don't want to be patronizing, but it's funny to me that they're starting to discover The idea of unionizing or like or like just the idea of like that they have a voice. And I think it's a a positive thing, but it's just they they're starting to really recognize that coming together and pushing for that for change is uh, something they can do. Except except in
0: Google, in Google's point of view, they come together and push for change by like doing a one day walkout. Right. It's like, wouldn't it be more effective to actually unionize? Not
1: necessarily, though. And I I think that this is actually like I, I think when you're talking about kind of old school unionization, I think that that can make a tremendous amount of, and it did obviously historically make a tremendous amount of sense, especially when you had industrial kind of jobs. Sure. When you're starting to get into kind of like higher level jobs at places like Google, you are going to have a lot of employees who are not necessarily going to want to go on the kind of unionized pay scales and that kind of thing that mm. comes with unionization. It is not, it no, is It is, so. is. a little bit more complicated. And so I, I see, I'm not 100% I,
0: sure that. I, th- I think this is this this is something I hear a lot from management at companies which unionize is that well if you unionize and everything becomes like lots of you look look at these union contracts and God knows I used to work at a company which had you know a union contract which was you know, five hundred pages thick and was just it was there was no flexibility and no nimble anything and it was horrible but clearly as you say like the workers at companies like. Google don't want that kind of union contract, and if the workers don't want it, then and if the management doesn't want it, then that's not the contract you're going to wind up with. And I
1: agree with that. I mean, I do think that there can be a form of collective action that, in, in a form of you know unionization or whatever, that isn't the same as it was at GM, right? Like that these are different models, and I do think that it, when you're at kind of a, n- a new economy company, like you are probably going to need different standards and people are going to probably want that but I think that we are probably getting to a point now where people are like rethinking how workers can gain power and I think that that's good I just think that sometimes there's a desire to always do like well let's do what worked 65 years ago Mm. and it's like well no let's maybe think about what actually could work now so what could
0: work now
4: I don't know what could work now. I'm sorry. I was going to say something totally different. I was going to say what I like about Kickstarter trying to unionize is that it exposes the hypocrisy of tech companies and their supposed ethics and ideals because Kickstarter yeah. is a public benefit corporation yeah. that's, you that know, has lofty ideals about who it is and how it works in the world. But at the end of the day, now that their workers are trying to unionize... Kickstarter said like we don't support so that. I so I actually,
0: I actually did some reporting on this, Ooh. which is something I very rarely do. <laughs> I try not. To, I try to. You're you know, on a roll. I'm on a roll. I, I actually sent an email to B Lab, which is the company which like Ooh. certifies all of the benefit corporations, and they said, oh yeah, like this could be a real problem for your B Corp status, and you if you are being evil to unionization attempt, then that can threaten your B Corp status. And if you just go back a couple of years ago to 2017, the other grand crunchy granola company, which is very proud of being a B Corp, Etsy, Ah. Gave up its B Corp status because it wanted to be evil instead, and it turns out that you know when push comes to shove, like it turns out that this, all B, evil. That this B Corp status yeah, is, is like it's it's this lovely little badge you can hold on to for as long as it as long as it feels good, and yeah. then the minute it doesn't feel good, you can throw it away. Well, and
1: not, I, I, we don't need to get into the entire argument about B Corps. You can go back in the uh, podcast libraries just see me go on my rants about B Corps, but. I, you know, I do think that this is also the reality as companies become a little bit more mature, and and also as if you know we're getting to a place where capital isn't quite as easy to get as it was in the past, mm. and maybe there's actually going to be a push for companies to make a tad bit more money, or if you're in an industry like where you're, you're shifting that. Yeah, you, you you do have to make difficult choices, and and I and I fully I think it's great that that you know we are getting to a point where workers are, are pushing back, but I also think that that doesn't mean that there aren't concerns that management would also have on the other side of that. It doesn't. It's not. It doesn't mean you're evil. I mean, it just means like you also want to run a profitable company. Mm. Like it. It's... Sure.
0: Maybe I feel it. Like...
4: <laughs> no. Wait, feel... wait. But actually.
0: No, I feel like actually, uh... they don't
4: want to run a profitable company. We just spent the previous segment discussing how none of these companies are profitable. <laughs>
0: And and, exact, well, and and that was the thing, right? If, that's if, my if point is that no, like, this is running... shifting. Like, you're starting
1: to get more th- – the ability to just continue to, be, to not be profitable in the newer economy, I think, is going to be challenged more and more. And people see right, that. Actually. And I think in the old economy, that's not the case. You, in fact, do actually have to be profitable.
0: You need to be profitable, but you don't need – I think this is the, the thing that a lot of people running B Corps, especially the established ones like Patagonia, which have been around for decades – You'd need profits to be sustainable, but you don't need to grow your profits every year. If you're a
1: pur- publicly traded company, then yes, you do. You actually don't. Yes, you do if you're a growth company. And that's the but only reason not anybody's investing in you. No, but, uh, <laughs> because I, then
0: no one's going to invest in you and your market cap
1: is going to go down and your ability to get capital is going to be much, much lower. Okay, we've had, and, this, uh, this, we've had a, this
0: conversation <laughs> God, on this show this before. <laughs> but you don't need to have a growing share price this just because you are I a public it. company. Anyway, for um, utility. <laughs> we, um, we. I think. I think we're just going to uh, wait this one out and move on to a numbers round. Uh, Mike, did you bring a number this week? I did. Awesome. What's your number?
2: It's twenty twenty. Do I explain it?
0: Please (laughs) do. Is is, is that the year of the next presidential election? (laughs)
4: God,
2: I'm not that dumb. Uh,
4: Is that your vision? You're not wearing glasses. No, that is not my vision. Oh, the glasses are on the table. Sorry, listeners. Um,
2: 2020 is the year that Airbnb announced it intends to go public. Correct. And... I have no idea why they did that or why they announced it, but it was very weird. Yeah, it because was. They have cool. to why? offer
4: equity to the hosts, and to if the, you want to uh, offer equity to the hosts, apparently this is what I read in your paper. I oh, think. Well, today. I
2: don't tell my colleagues about how it I think it was.
4: It maybe it was. No, it probably. wasn't. Who can say? Um, but that's why. <laughs> then they had to be public. That's what. So up. they're
2: getting ahead of of. Oh, because just SEC. The op- they have to.
4: Okay, got it, got it, got it, got it, got it. How's that gonna go?
2: I don't know. They they waited too long, Brian. Yeah. Actually, a lot of the employers are very mad that they waited this long and like now the markets are not conducive to what's,
0: what's been interesting to me about airbnb is that they are one of the rare private companies who's managed to do some pretty significant m&a while still remaining private mm. one of the reasons to go public has always been more well, then you get this acquisition currency and you can go around and do things like buy hotel tonight or they just bought or they just took a huge stake in um atlas obscura and really yeah, yeah. I, didn't I didn't see that
2: Crazy. Um, David Plotsis. David Plotsis. <laughs> yeah, uh, which right. which is
0: which is run by the former editor of Slate
4: and the current host of Political Gabfest
0: and the current host of Political Gabfest. So yeah, so but they, it's interesting to me how long they've been able to do those kind of deals without going public. I mean,
1: I think that's the it's a it's again another indication of this kind of bizarre private market we've had yeah. because of raids and again all of the the capital needing a home.
0: My number is eighty million euros, which is my my favorite. Story of the week, which is these guys did a scan, they did the best crime ever <laughs> um where they basically. You know those, like, weird rubber face masks they have in the Mission Impossible stories where you change your face? (laughs) (laughs) They made a rubber face mask of the French defense minister, and then they would, like, Skype all of these, like, art dealers and and other rich people in France, and they'd be like, we want you for a secret mission. You've got to, like send me like 20 million euros and then I will bail out these hostages and then the French state will pay you back and you're getting, you know, a knighthood or something. And then all these people fell for it. They managed to raise 80 million euros. Oh my God.
1: That's
2: amazing,
1: yeah. and we were talking about this earlier, actually, with <laughs> Jordan Weisman, and bringing—he was bringing up the idea that, like, in order to make this scam work, you have to target people who are wealthy enough to think that that the finance minister would actually contact mm. them. It's very well, oh, well thought through. Defense us. minister. Defense minister. Sorry, sorry.
0: Yeah, yeah. Because the finance minister has access. To it. Yeah, I mean, it was. It's such a glorious crime. That's, it really yeah, is. Someone has to make this into a movie. Agreed.
1: Agreed. Oh, uh, mine. Go, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'll you can Mine. Yeah. Mine
4: is like a bummer, and I don't want us to end on a bummer. Okay.
0: Cool.
4: Yeah. <laughs> okay. So mine is two point nine billion
2: birds. Oh, it's yeah. the birds. Yeah. Yeah. The birds. I'm glad I didn't pick that. Two point nine <laughs> billion yeah. fewer
4: birds now than there was fifty years ago, according to a new study published in Science. That I just. That's just damn sad, and it's yeah. because the climate is changing and the the birds are dying. And it's not just like is, is it the because fancy, of cats? It's not cats. It's not. It's not because the,
0: Jonathan Franzen. L- <laughs> 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 hey, according to Jonathan Franzen, you just put the bells on the cats, and it solves the problem. Well, Done. And, and
4: that was the saddest part of the oh, of God. the piece. Was like what what can I do like Emily Peck to help the birds live is just like you could, there's things you can do to your windows in your house so they don't fly into the yeah. windows. Mm. That is not the problem. It's like pesticide, global yeah. warming, blah, 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 blah. And, yeah. and it's not fancy birds that are dying. It's not like exotic birds. It's just like your everyday. Every day. It's, not, it's not the sexy duck
0: in not. Central Park. <laughs> the hot,
4: the
3: hot duck. duck. The sexy duck is going to be okay. <laughs> <laughs> I looked for the hot duck the other day. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't find I it. I think the
0: hot duck is gone. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I hope it's not. I'll
3: oh, see, we,
1: we made it light. <laughs> yeah. there you go. See, my number now isn't just not that good. <laughs> uh, so, mine is five hundred million. So, this is actually goes back to WeWork. So, Adam Newman has a credit line. It's actually a personal credit line, Ugh. and he uses his WeWork <laughs> private shares as collateral. So now his collateral has oh my God. markedly declined in value. Oh so his ability to take on additional... Dish- so you're actually probably going to have the banks coming in saying he's going to have to pay back money um, or he's going to have to post liquidity because his collateral has declined so much. So I thought that was an interesting so part doesn't of Doesn't
0: your heart Maybe. just bleed? <laughs> Poor Adam Newman in his private no jet. Who yeah, really cares about global sustain- sustainability while flying in his, in his, private, his private jet. jet. Yes, yes. I have decided this is going to be one of, uh, like, a repeated feature in my in my newsletter it's going to be like ban private jets because this this was not my idea i hasten to add i got this idea from izzy kaminska at ft alphaville and she's like this would be great it would totally cut down on like the kardashian industrial complex but i'm like that's that's like there are so many other advantages to banning private jets including i'm kind of convinced that if you ban private jets then the Epstein scam could never have happened. He used his private jet so much to, in, to get into people's like good graces.
4: Also, Succession wouldn't be as good without private jets.
0: <laughs> succession, like a lot of very important scenes in Succession do take place <laughs> on private like jets.
4: If someone offered you a ride on their private jet, would you say no because of principle or would you just take the ride? honest
0: so i definitely remember when i started out as a financial journalist you know in the 20th century um many many years ago there was this thing and it was it still goes on but like it was when i was very young and i was like oh this is what happens is you're profiling a ceo and then they bring you onto the private Mm -hmm. jet and it's Mm -hmm. all very glamorous and you're very impressed and and i was like and in the back of my head, I was like, yeah, I kind of want one of those profiles. So I get to, lay like, jet around in the private jet mm-hmm. or, like, or when you're interviewing the oligarch and he's like, I'm sorry, I'm in my dasher for all of August. So I'm just going to have to send my private jet to pick you up, <laughs> which, like, does happen. Um, and now I think, you know, now that I'm old and grumpy, maybe I would be less prone to sort of jump at that.
1: Mm-hmm. Also, I had a friend um, who. Good for you. Yeah, I, I know. I in and fact for do have. I know. Yeah, exactly. You. Yeah, yeah. No, I have a friend. It is actually, it's not me. In fact, I it, it is it is a friend who, um, her and she said so. Her the company she works for, her her boss does have a private jet, and she said she hates when she has to fly, particularly because she's like, then you have to sit and talk to your boss for the entire time that you're on the plane. She's like, I would just much rather take totally. the commercial flight and totally. not have to interact with my boss for this entire flight.
4: We're gonna get it on Twitter for this whole conversation about our bubble. <laughs> we it's we true. one of the yeah. problems with my job. Is I have to fly in the private jet with my boss. It's so awkward. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
3: oh
0: <God>. yeah. Fair. <laughs> I mean, that's like 0.1% world problem. Right <laughs> yeah, so it's very true. <laughs> um, I think that's it. Thank you for listening to the amazing Mike Isaac episode of Slate Money this week. Uh, email address as ever is money at slate.com. Many thanks to Jessamine and Molly for producing, and we will talk to you next week on Sleep Money.
1: With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about
0: anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom?
4: Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time.
0: No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry.